I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to finish setting up your weekly startup system, the machine that, if built correctly, will churn out a great business for you. The past two weeks teed up today's pod, the logistical part of the series. The goal was to establish a structure for your weeks in a way that if you repeat the week we create for you 50 times in a year, you'll be miles from where you are today, Vanessa Carlton style. The system will take all the important things into account, inertia and momentum and feedback loops and prompts to do the uncomfortable stuff and ways to fill your pockets with lottery tickets. We'll get there. We'll also make sure to start with the easiest, simplest implementation of the system, an email. If you just found us and haven't listened to the last two episodes, don't worry about it. You can listen to them if you like, but today we'll set you up just fine either way. Maybe the only thing you need to know is the story about the monkey and the pedestal. And the long and short of that is, if I asked you to teach a monkey how to recite Shakespeare on a pedestal a month from today, you probably wouldn't spend all that much time building a pedestal because that is not the thing that matters. But most people spend 90% of their time on pedestals in the startup world. Everyone ignores monkeys. Now, you're all caught up. Today's episode is going to be about logistics, but it also came out a bit sentimental for a few reasons. First, a great system forces you to reflect a bunch, and that's an odd feeling for most people. One of my friends who's a therapist once told me that, quote, most people would rather put toothpicks underneath their toenails and kick a wall than take a good look in a mirror, which is a serious visual and also pretty spot on. And second, because it's my birthday today. Well, today being the day I'm recording, which means I got an email this morning from myself, which is one of the strangest and best things that I do. This email started seven years ago, and I cannot remember why. I think it was probably just that I found out there was a send later feature in Gmail. Anyway, seven years ago, on my birthday, I wrote myself an email that I scheduled to arrive 365 days later. Every year since, I've responded to that email and scheduled it to loop back around on my next birthday. Seven years of receiving an email from my past self. The first one I ever wrote was simple. Just three bullets that said, quote, goals for the year. The first bullet was a speed I wanted to finish a triathlon in. The second was the size of the venture fund I was hoping to raise. And the third was the name and breed of a dog I was going to have before my next birthday. A Vishla named Jeter. I remember opening the email the following year, the morning of my birthday, first a bit confused because I'd forgotten I wrote it, and next collapsing in a fit of laughter at how silly the goals were. Since that last birthday, a serious head injury had forced me to stop exercising altogether. A $10 million fund seemed patently ludicrous as I was in the middle of building a business predicated on VC funding being irrelevant for 99% of all startups. And a Vishla named Jeter in New York City? I lived in a 500-square-foot apartment and worked 70 hours a week, a hunting dog that needs, according to Wikipedia, two to three hours of sustained exercise each day in order to, quote, avoid destructive behavior? What a dum-dum. That was one of the moments that helped me realize two foundational human things. One, we are absolutely terrible at knowing what is actually good for us, or even what we actually want. And two, 
If I wanted to make progress towards any big goal, it wasn't just going to happen magically. I was glad I didn't raise the $10 million fund, but upset because at no point had I seriously put in place a plan to do it. How could I have thought that raising a $10 million fund was the most important work goal for my year and then done nothing to follow up on that? I kept writing my birthday goals emails for a few years before it really sunk in how silly it was that I'd say something was the most important thing for me to focus on during the upcoming year and then go a year without not only achieving it, but without really giving it a fair shot. I'd want 10,000 newsletter subscribers, but then never really build a plan to go after that. Or I'd want to help 500 startups or write a fiction book or plant a garden or volunteer. And then I'd just keep on doing what I'd done the year before. Inertia, baby. There's almost no connection between the things we want and the things we do to get those things. One reason for this is we usually don't think about either. Another is that we actively sabotage ourselves because we're scared to be happy. That one's above my pay grade and more suited for my friend with the needles underneath his toenails comment, but it's a thing that's been happening forever. Ancient Greeks called it acrasia, Buddhists call it resistance, thousands of dummies on LinkedIn call it being stuck and try to sell you a course on how to get unstuck, but for today, we'll call it the thing that keeps you from starting a business that'll make you happy. Connecting your desire with consistent actions is way tougher than it seems. A few years after starting the birthday emails, I was telling a good friend about how much value I got from them. They had grown into 5,000 word epics at that point, descriptions of the big things I didn't want to forget, evolutions of relationships, decisions I'd made and why, a volume of my life. But I still got frustrated because the goals and predictions sections seemed so detached. Well, he said, that's not how behavior change works. You need to change your actions daily. One reminder every year isn't going to do it. Why don't you write those emails to yourself monthly, he said. Actually, even better, why don't you do it weekly? Open a different email thread. Don't muck up your birthday email, but why not write a review each week that gets forwarded to the following Sunday before you figure out what you're going to do that week? A work-focused journal. The weekly email report was born. If you stop listening to the pod now and do nothing else from all the more complex system stuff we're going to talk about later on, do the email thing. Sit down this Sunday and write out an answer to a couple of prompts. First, what are you building towards and why? Next, what's the most important thing you want to get done in the next week that'll move you closer to that goal? What would someone 15% more assertive than you make sure they got done this week? If you only get 30 minutes to work on your project this week, what are you going to do? What will you do this week that other people aren't willing to? And a few prompts on the previous week. What did you do last week that was unique or different or something most other people won't or can't do? What habit do you want to take with you into the next week? What habit do you want to leave? How can you ensure you take the first and leave the second? Then jump into your calendar and block off some time to do the important things. There's a lot more to the plan we're going to talk through today, the structural columns that'll support behavior change. But again, if you do nothing else, the weekly email can be magic, and it's a great place to start. I'm not sure why it's so hard for us humans to tie our actions to what we want or what's good for us, but it is, and it won't happen by accident. In fact, the opposite will, because for some weird reason, our subconscious thinks relaxing will make us happy when all it does is stress us out. Doing hard things makes us happy, so let's set up a system to do that. 
Let's build a week that, if you repeat it 50 times, you'll be miles and miles away from where you are today. Still, like Vanessa Carlton. And yeah, I asked our podcast folks if we could use that song for the jazz today, but apparently we're big enough that someone might notice and we might get sued, but still small enough that we could never actually pay for the licensing. The warm porridge of copyright infringement. So, just the jazz again today. And after, we'll get into projects and keystone species and lottery tickets. Oh my. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. The Structure Inbox, areas, projects. One of the biggest reasons people don't have startup systems is because they've never built a startup before, so they never needed a system. Simple. As we've talked about in the previous two episodes, there is a huge difference between building something from scratch that might or might not make a lick of sense and iterating on something that we know already does make sense. The sandbox you've played into this point, if you haven't been starting a startup, has always been the latter. And don't say your company was entrepreneurial or even that you were the fifth hire at a startup. It ain't the same. And now you've got to figure out how to do the former. The work you need to do for the first is unrecognizable from the work you did on the second. And every work instinct you have will be honed from working in that second type of work, reactive, iterative, which means it'll be dead wrong when working on your startup. This process should keep you away from that. If I had to sum up the process in a sentence, it would be, quote, a way of working that ensures you don't follow your instincts. Most of the elements of my system were evolved from two places, David Allen's getting things done and Tiago Forte's para method. They're pretty similar. Tiago pulls probably 95% of his stuff from David Allen, but he also spends way more time on actual implementation. So I think reading both is a great use of your time. I'll pop them in the show notes. Definitely give them a look. I'll also add a Notion template I've used as a jumping off point if Notion is your bag. There are three massive workflow distinctions that both David Allen and Tiago Forte detail, and they'll be foundational to you ever getting anything off the ground. They've helped me and our startups go from the equivalent of wandering aimlessly through a meadow to sprinting full speed towards specific goals. They're the first things you need to implement when building your own system, and they are projects, areas, and inbox. We'll start with the most important one, projects. If you're currently working on a startup idea, the first thing you should do is get out a giant piece of paper and dump everything in your brain out on it. Every idea you have about your startup, every person you want to meet, every task, every fear, everything. Get it all out. If you're early on, the list is going to get long and that's okay. If it takes an hour, it takes an hour. Your list is probably going to be filled with things like reach out to a friend who has a friend who started a startup, go to events to find a co-founder, build a landing page, get a work email, figure out if I should incorporate my startup first, do customer interviews, apply to Y Combinator, find a job that pays a lot for 20 hours a week, or pick a day, I'm going to quit my job. And you'll probably have about 400 other things. A huge reason startups stall is that it's impossible for a founder to get momentum because there's so much to do and so little clarity as to what's important. Whatever's on that piece of paper was in your head. Of course, it was hard to move forward. 
Projects are helpful as that first organizing swipe. A project is something that has a beginning and an end. It has a set amount of tasks. It's time bound. It's something you will finish. When I think about projects, I always think about them as a tool to answer a specific critical question. When I help founders do this, I usually start with the question. Something like, does anyone care? That's always a good monkey question. With that in mind, look at that list that we just made and see if there's anything in there that will help you answer that question. I planted a great one in our fake examples. Do customer interviews. So that might become your initial project. And if you're struggling for something, it's a great one to start with. Do customer interviews. Except that is still not a project because it doesn't have our only two criteria for a project, a time frame and a clear end. So you need to work harder to get it into project form. Let's use an example and bring back our old friend from the past two episodes, the person with the idea for a golf country club in New York City with simulators instead of a course. If you didn't listen to him, the basic idea was people in the city don't join golf clubs because they're far away, and obviously there's not enough room in the city for a golf course, so this founder thought they could build the country club experience in the city, then use golf simulators instead of having a course. If this person was answering the question, does anyone care and wanted to start with some customer interviews, the project might become, quote, interview 15 golf enthusiasts who live in New York City over the next two weeks. That's a project. It's got parameters, a deadline, and clear action points you can build on. So if you need to interview 15 golf enthusiasts, you need to find 15 people and need to get them to agree to an interview. You need to research the right questions to ask, and you might want to figure out how to group them after you've interviewed them. Maybe you want to learn how to build a persona. Then you can build out a sprint for the next two weeks. It might look something like this. Step one, email to friends and family on day one of the sprint asking for intros to the people they know who live in the city and travel out of the city frequently to play golf. Include a forwardable email and a link to my Calendly for 15-minute interviews. Editors note, we obviously will be looking for people who already display the behavior, not for people who say, hey, sure, if you build a club, I'll go, even though I don't golf now. That is the cousin of people saying they'll go to the gym if there's one in their building. If they go to the gym 10 blocks away now, they will if there's one in their basement. If they don't go now, they never will. Step two, mock question list for the interview. Create a script for the open and the close. Step three, Show up at Chelsea Pier's driving range and chat with people after they finish hitting balls. Maybe you'll have a couple of other steps after that too. Build a landing page could also be a project, but it might not be the right time to test it out if you're still running interviews to figure out who your customer is. Loosely creating projects for some of the other items that don't answer a critical go or no go on the idea decision or any projects that are helping you build a pedestal for the monkey can be done, but they shouldn't be something you see every day. A massive list of projects that you have to do at some point is demotivating. Hide everything but active projects you're currently trying to knock out and keep that to maybe one or two a week. Work on the most important project at a furious rate until you finish it. The flow of, quote, identify the most important question, develop a project, try and answer it, sprint on that project will help you move fast on the right stuff. If you're doing the weekly email thing, always pick the most important project that'll answer the most important question as the thing to anchor and drive your week. Write your explanation as to why an outsourced CEO would have focused on the same project you're choosing that week. 
Another thing I love to do is think through how someone really assertive or someone thinking huge might attack each project as you're describing the steps for it. Think about the types of things they might outsource and think about the types of things they might be way more ambitious about. The second most important structural pillar of your system is called areas. These are things you're focused on, things you might need to do someday, but things that aren't structured like projects. You might have an area called learn about sales, where you save books and articles as you come across them. Maybe you've got an area called designs I like, where you save websites you'll eventually give to a designer when they build your site. Areas aren't like projects. They don't have a start and end date, and they aren't structured to ever be finished. They usually live on and become extremely important as we get to part three of your system, the inbox. The third most important piece of the structure for entrepreneurs is the inbox. This isn't your email. It's a place for the 10 million ideas you have each day to live. The golf idea person is a real person. They're a friend of a friend who's been kicking around the idea for a year or so and was cool with me using it as an example in the pod. When I asked to see their workflow, they showed me their Gmail inbox, which had easily 600 emails from themselves with quick ideas that they'd sent all day. Things like, quote, could we partner with local golf courses and do a joint membership thing? And, quote, should we start with a watch party for the masters and quote, what if golf isn't as important as the social side of the club is and on and on. You've probably got something like this and it could be a combination of an email inbox and a notebook and a text chain to a friend or whatever else. The important piece is to have a clear intake flow, a system to collect all of your thoughts and ideas and articles you need to read and books to reference and whatever else. And you also need a clear time to audit that place. Otherwise, it'll drown your subconscious or you'll lose it, and neither is good. I use Notion as the hub for all of my work, and I've set up a shortcut to a page I call Inbox. Whenever I have a thought, I push it there in a new note I launch with a keyboard shortcut on my Mac or through the app on my phone. When I read an article, I've got the Notion website clipper add-on set up in Chrome, so I hit a keyboard shortcut again, and the article goes straight to my Inbox. Once a week, I clean it out. The ideas usually end up in areas, but sometimes they become projects if they're shaped like that and answering a real question I've already got. The key is to have very little friction for collecting things. Keystrokes, shortcuts are your friend. As we've talked about, successful entrepreneurs are the ones who collect more dots and then connect those dots in unique ways. That is the job, so build for it. My flow ends up looking like this. Throughout the week, I've got tons of thoughts and ideas and feelings and articles and books and whatever else. I dump all of them into my inbox and free up my mind to think of more. I know I'll go through those later, and if they make sense to pursue, I'll pursue them. On Sundays, I go through the inbox and see what came in. I judge it all against the big questions I'm currently trying to answer. Things like, do people care? Or what unique channels are my customers in? Or am I sure this will help my customers be successful? Or do I even want to write a book? If they're relevant for my immediate questions and projects, I use them. If not, I add them to the relevant areas so that they can be helpful later. When I launch a new project, say build a landing page, I can go into the design area to pull inspiration and the messaging area to grab copy I like and pass it all along to the freelancers I'm working with or just do it myself. The flow of inbox to areas to projects works extremely well. A huge recommendation I'd have is to not build out lots of areas and projects before you need them. Create the folders as they pop up. Empty folders and empty projects are just more clutter. Now, 
Let's talk about the three pieces of the system I've added over the years that act as multipliers. The multipliers, keystone species, lottery tickets, and never agains. A few years back, you probably read an article or watched a video or were in a random conversation with someone at a wedding and wolves came up. I think two people at two separate weddings told me about this. Maybe I look like a wolf guy. Anyway, wolves change the shapes of rivers, and a very popular article about that hit the zeitgeist. If you are familiar, wolves are what's called a keystone species, meaning they have a disproportionately large effect on their natural environment. After being reintroduced in Yellowstone Park some 70 years after being displaced, wolves began hunting elk, whose population had exploded. The presence of wolves meant the elk couldn't graze in valleys, so native flora came back, which increased biodiversity through food and shelter to other plants and animals. That vegetation also stabilized the riverbanks, which altered the geography of the park itself by changing the path of the river. So, wolves changed the river. Part of your operating system as an entrepreneur should be identifying the keystone species of your life, for lack of a better term. Mine are clear. When I exercise, I feel better and I'm healthier. I think clear, I eat better, I sleep better, I write more and that writing is punchier. I also meditate more and surf random sites on the internet less and walk more with Ruby and on and on. The founders I work with notice our meetings are wildly productive. The returns are aggressively disproportionate. Investing in an hour of exercise pays for itself a hundred times over. But I'm really busy. So exercise gets pushed for urgent things like email, even though that's a terrible long-term strategy. So to preserve the keystone species of my life, exercise, I overpay for it. I have a trainer I meet with on Zoom a few times a week. Just this act makes it more likely I work out on the non-trainer days as well. Another keystone action for me is the podcast. It comes out every week. It's my birthday today, and it'd be nice to not record and just go get a donut at Rise in town, the best donuts on the planet. But the podcast does everything for me. It helps me think. It brings in new business. It reinforces that I can do hard things. Throughout the week, it ensures that my head is on a swivel, that I'm searching for anything interesting I can weave into a thing that helps you be more successful. The podcast takes a lot of time. The trainer costs a lot of money. Overspending and overinvesting in the keystone actions of your life is the biggest bargain on planet Earth. And it's almost always stuff you need some external pressure to get done. A mastermind group, an uncomfy hour, some sort of commitment that matters. Maybe yours is a letter you send to potential investors each week with an update. Maybe it's a newsletter you write. Maybe it's having coffee with three strangers a week. Maybe it's cooking 10 meals on Sundays. You need to find the pillars of your life that have disproportionate impact on your productivity and happiness and well-being and over-invest in them. That makes the system run. The flip side of keystone actions are what I call the never-agains. Lots of people believe in moderation. Eat sugar in moderation or go on social media in moderation or whatever else. I just don't. Now, you can't choose to remove everything bad from your life, and moderation with sugar is certainly better than a lot of sugar. But I do think a better system for most things you know are bad isn't moderation, but outright removal. How can you build a system to get rid of them forever so you never have to worry about them again? I think about it like a bruise on your shin. If you hit your shin, you get a bruise, then you hit your shin in moderation every third day for the rest of your life, you're always going to have a bruise. 
If there's something that provides you no value and just pulls from you, build a system to cut it out forever. In two weeks, you'll forget about it completely. I deleted Instagram maybe five years ago and haven't thought about it in maybe four years and 11 months. So many things we think we need, we just don't. My big problem is that moderation doesn't actually create the space you need because you're still just gearing up for the next time you're going to do whatever thing you're going to do that you know is bad for you. And we need to free that space. We need room for your brain to mull on all the stuff you're pulling in to make connections. This certainly isn't what most people do, but most people also don't start successful companies. So, The next multiplier of the system are lottery tickets. I almost put this in the reflection section, but I think about them as the things that create massive potential value, so they stayed here. Lots of times, you have to invest in these too. They're risky and aren't a sure thing. But the rest of the world tends to shy away from these sorts of opportunities, so they're usually underpriced. Recently, Lionel Messi, the best soccer player in the world, left Europe and signed with Inter Miami, a major league soccer team here in the U.S. He'll make between $50 and $60 million this year. The second highest paid player in the MLS makes $8 million. This sounds risky. But within weeks of joining the club, Messi has the most purchased jersey in all of sports. Watching him play is the hardest ticket to get in all of sports. The club will make an estimated 10 plus X their investment this year alone, and it might end up being 100X, and they're winning games. In the end, the 50 to 60 million wasn't actually all that risky. Through predictable ticket sales, sponsor, and jersey revenue, they were all but guaranteed to at least break even. The real risk, as always, is sticking to the status quo. We know where you'll end up. So, as you build out your system, create time for lottery tickets. When you see a project that has the goal of speaking with 15 customers, how could you make that 100? What about 1,000? We've talked about problems versus opportunities. How can you create time each week to try things that have a low probability of working out, but huge upside they do? If you had to get rid of every item on your task list by thinking bigger, how would you do it? I've seen a lot about increasing your quote surface area for luck recently. And while I don't love the term, I love the idea. How can you make sure that you're buying as many lottery tickets as possible each week? How many chances can you create for someone to find you or help you? If you do this weekly, the luck is going to come in. It's a numbers game. The final multiplier, a bonus, is another obvious one that way too many people miss. I call it doing the thing. We talked earlier about our friend with the golf simulator idea. He's spending a lot of time thinking about the price of buildings and how many members he needs and who belongs to what clubs and how could he partner, but really, he should just be doing the thing. If your business is to help people play golf on a simulator, then help people play golf on a simulator. There are a bunch of facilities in the city that have them. Organize an event. Invite people. See if they come. See if they like it. See if they come again. If the idea is more around the exclusivity and joining something like a club, then throw a private event at a comedy club and see if people show up. See if they come back. If all else fails, do the thing you're doing. Sometimes that can get lost. Reflection. The last piece of all of this is reflection. The hardest part here is time. Reflecting never seems like an urgent thing to do. And for whatever reason, we usually stack reflection on the weekends. I do, at least. So it gets steamrolled. Build a system around it. 
invite someone else building a startup to show up on Zoom for a half hour a week and reflect on the previous week with you and prep for the next. Ask the big questions. What would someone skeptical of my idea need to know before they continued pursuing it? What would someone 15% more assertive than me do to find those answers? If a great CEO took over my idea today, what is the first thing they do? If actions drive mindset, what actions do I need to take to be the type of entrepreneur I want to be? And whatever other prompting questions you need to use to get the hard stuff out. What I love so much about the weekly email is that now I'm up to a thread with 75 previous emails in it. I can scroll up and down and see what's worked in the past. I can reflect on the hard stuff I've gotten done to propel to the new stuff. Whenever I feel stuck on a podcast, I can go back 30 episodes to see what I used to get through it back then. The flow builds, the weeks compound, you make progress. The end. The interesting thing about the birthday emails are that they continue to get longer, but the amount dedicated to work continues to shrink. Over dinner the other night, my wife asked me about the 15 things that jumped out in the last year, and when I finished, that list had grown to 20 or 25, and not a single one had anything to do with work. It was all about when Ruby ran on the beach and the little guy went swimming for the first time and trips with the family and the first time I watched Interstellar. I love what I do. I love the podcast. I love Tacklebox. I love our founders, but it all supports the rest of the stuff, which is why the system is so important. Creating unique, differentiated, valuable work in as streamlined a way as possible is the goal. Design your life to do all the really hard stuff so that you have the option for balance. The real benefit of a good system is that it creates space. Space to think, reflect, get great work done, space for whatever you need. Hopefully these past three episodes help you start wrapping your arms around a system and inspired you to get started. The jump from nothing to something is seismic, even if that something is basic. Feel free to ping me if you need more info on it. I'm considering just building out a program to help people get this set up. Shoot an email to team at gettacklebox.com if that's something you'd want to be a part of if we end up pushing it live. Anyway, it's been a fun three episodes, but we are back testing out startup ideas next week. Until then, this was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, where we help you teach a monkey how to recite Hamlet. Apply at gettacklebox.com. We'll get back to you in 72 hours. Have a great week.